So the question is, is it possible to keep love alive for the long term? Is it possible to still be in love? You know, you see the old couples in love years and years into their marriage. So I'm not really talking about marriage today at all. Actually, I'm talking to you about relationship with God. Is it possible to maintain a relationship with God which you love God more now than you did in the early days? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, this is the first of the seven churches, writes, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hands, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. So in chapters 1, I know we're kicking in in chapter 2 here, but if you read chapter 1, you discover when he says about the seven golden lampstands, he's actually talking that's representative of the seven churches. And Jesus said, I walk among the seven golden lampstands. In other words, Jesus walks among the church. He walks among the churches. He's moving among us today. He knows us. He knows you. He knows your life. He knows every detail about you. He knows you better than you know you. Jesus moves among us. And he sees. He knows every hardship you face. He knows every heartache you've had. He knows every challenge you've had this week. He knows your life. He knows you better than you know you. And then he goes on and says, verse 2, I know your deeds. Or, I know your deeds. Okay, so, I know your deeds. And see, when when Jesus says something like, I know your deeds, you think, oh no, here it comes. Here it comes. Brace yourself. I know your deeds. You know, what's Jesus going to say to me? He knows the worst of us, right? But actually, he'll surprise you. He doesn't pull out all the bad stuff you've done. That's not what he does. He instead praises you for all the good stuff you've done. He says this, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. Do you know what? You could have quit, but you didn't quit. You persevered. You can't tolerate evil men. and You put to test those who call themselves apostles, but they're not. And you found them to be false. And that you have perseverance. Now, in that first century church, you needed a lot of perseverance. You know, you were a follower of Jesus in those early days. Romans tried to kill you. The Jews tried to kill you. It was, it was hardcore being a believer. And he said, you've had perseverance. Well done. You've endured for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. See, when Jesus says, I know your deeds, the word know means a complete knowledge. Literally, he knows everything there is. To, he knows more about you than you know about you. He's, he's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything about everyone and everything. He knows every detail. He said, I know your deeds. He knows your hardship. He knows what you're going through. He's seen your suffering. He's seen your battles. He knows you. He's got you. And then in verse, and in verse 4, here, here comes the punch. Verse 4, but, say, uh-oh. uh-oh, here it's coming. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. I've left your fir- you've left your first love. So having said, you've done so well in so many things, he says, you've left your first love. In other words, you're still doing a lot of stuff on the surface that's pretty cool. But under the surface, you've walked away from something that's absolutely fundamental to your very existence. Because you lose, lo- you lose love, you lose all. You've left your first love. Let me, let me, we're going to come back to the verses in a moment and pick up from there. But before we do that, let me just take you right back to the beginning 
when Ephesus, this church Jesus is writing to, got their first love in the first place. Let's see what it looked like in the early days. Let's just look when they, when they first fell in love. Let's, let's see what it looks like. So first of all, that context, Ephesus was a capital city of the province of Asia. Huge city, like Edinburgh, big, influential capital city. It was known for pagan worship. There's a huge pagan temple to the goddess Diana in that, temp- in that city. And also, archaeologically, there's a huge arena there. In those days, it was the largest open-air arena in the world, 50,000-seat arena, kind of nearly the, the scale of Hamden Park football stadium. So that kind of huge-scale arena. They had that in Ephesus. And, it's, and it, we find that 44 years before Jesus is writing to them in Revelation chapter 2, the apostle Paul arrived in Ephesus to plant the church. So the church was 44 years old now that Jesus is writing to. Okay, so let's go back to those four, beginning of the 44 years. Paul arrives in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, and this is what it says. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, verse 6. When Paul placed his hands in them, the Holy Spirit came in them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But when Son became obstinate and refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's amazing. Big impact. All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, I thought all miracles were extraordinary, but apparently there's another level, okay? So God, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken and placed on the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Verse 18, many of those who believed came and openly confessed their evil deeds a number who had practiced sorcery came and brought their Harry Potter books, sorry, their, their scrolls together and, and burned them publicly. And they calculated the value of the scrolls and the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spreads widely and grew in power. So here we see the beginnings of the church in Ephesus. And it started with a small group of 12 disciples. Paul just came across them. And they were followers of God, but they, they didn't really get it all. So Paul, first thing Paul did is he prayed for them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He laid hands on them, and they experienced what we believe is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Next thing they know, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and ooh, out comes this language, speaking in tongues. That, that's happened to me. That's happened to many of you in this room, where you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues. And then he started prophesying as well. So, wow, they're just like on fire. They're just like empowered by God's. And God started a church through this, this small group of people. And then Paul goes to the synagogue and he tries to get the Jews' attention and talks to them about Jesus, but they're not very interested. So the point comes where Paul's, those people who are interested, he takes them aside to this lecture hall uh, of some dinosaur or another, Tyrannius. And, and in this lecture hall, he teaches them for two years. And the Bible says that so that all of the people living in Asia Minor hear the word of the Lord. Now, Paul wasn't the one going out telling the people. The disciples who he was quipping were now taking the message, and they were telling the word, and they impacted a whole province. Incredible. 
And the impact was so big. The Bible says that so there was great miracles, dramatic healings, people being set free from demons, incredible things. But here's the thing. The impact was so great that there was a large-scale turning back to God. Now, we don't know how many people we're talking about here. Some people estimate that the church in Ephesus grew to about 100,000 people strong. Huge church. But what we do know is that the, the value of the scrolls that they burned. So when they burned all those occult books, the value of the scrolls was 50,000 drachmas. Now, that doesn't really mean much to us today, but a drachma was a day's wages. That was a drachma. So that's 50,000 days wages. Imagine you'd worked 50,000 days. Okay. That's actually 130 seven years. Okay, so you probably haven't done that before. Uh, But if you'd worked 137 days, that's the value of the scrolls that were booked. It literally equates to millions and millions of pounds. Now, here's the thing. God had got their heart. And see when when you've got your heart, you give everything, right? You, You remember what it's like to be in love. You just give everything. All right, then you go then, have it. There you go. And you, fa- you sacrifice everything. You just kind of, you go the extra mile. Nothing's too big. You're just, you're just oh, head over heels. You know, nothing's too big a price to pay. And so, hey, they didn't care about burning these occult books. They were given up in false religion. They wanted to follow the true God. They, God had got their heart and said, God, we're yours. They were totally abandoned to God. That was how they began. It was radical. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was miracles. They were willing to give everything up. I'll go everywhere, anywhere and pay any price. You remember those days? That's what it's like to follow God. And Jesus is saying 44 years later, guys, you've lost your first love. So that's how the church began. Actually, 10 years after that, the apostle Paul writes to the same church in Ephesus and it's the book of Ephesians. We have that in our Bibles, the book of Ephesians. Paul writes 10 years after the church started to the book of Ephesians. And do you know what the very last thing Paul said in the book of Ephesians was? The very last thing he said to the church 10 years later. Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Say incorruptible. Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. The word incorruptible in the Greek language means undiminishable. It means unshakable. It means uh, immortal. It lasts forever. It means it's genuine and sincere. Paul ends that book and says to the church at Ephesus, Grace be to all you who love Jesus with an undiminishable, never-ending love. That was a church that was 10 years old. But now Jesus is writing to the church. Now it's 44 years old and he says, you've lost your first love. You see, love is actually an indicator that you're God's. If you love God, that's an indicator that you are God's. If you don't love God's, that's a sheer sign that you're not God's. So Jesus, Jesus put it this way. Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Us loving Jesus is a sign that you're a child of God. If you don't love Jesus, you're not a child of God. But if you've got love in your heart for Jesus, that's a fruit of you. You're a child of God. And today, I don't know you all, maybe some of you here today haven't yet come to that point of being saved, knowing God as your father. Today you can. 
He's going to fill your heart with a love for him, and you're going to be saved. And so Jesus said, love God is, is what it's all about. You see, we're not talking about religion here. We're actually talking about a relationship. We're not interested in religion, not in the slightest. But we are interested in you folks, me included, pursuing a relationship with God. That's everything. So 44 years later, this is 96 AD, the Apostle John is an old man. He's in prison on an island called Patmos. Jesus gives him a revelation. He gives him letters to write to the churches. And to this church in Ephesus, which is now 44 years old, he says, guys, you've done really well. You've toiled, you've persevered. You've, I know your deeds, you're doing great. But you know, behind the surface, I know you've lost something that you used to have. And I remember what it was like, guys. I remember the price you were willing to pay. You'd go anywhere, pay any price. You're up for everything because you had this love. But it's gone a bit cold. You've lost that first love. Now, you know, when Jesus comes and corrects us, don't take that as, don't, don't be devastated. Let it impact you, but also take it as a compliment. All right. If you if you feel in the challenge today, don't think, oh man, God's against me. No, no. The very the very reason He challenges you is because He's for you. He's not He's not given up on you. If He ignores you, that's when you've got problems. Okay. But the very fact He's taken an interest and He says you've lost your first love tells me that God is on your case. You know, um, but you know the Taj Mahal in India, that incredible huge structure. It was apparently it was built by the Indian ruler Sajjan. In 1629, he started constructing it after he lost his favorite wife. He was devastated at the loss of his favorite wife, and he decided to build this huge, incredible, monumental structure in her honor. And what he actually did was he took her casket, and he placed it in the center of the piece of land, and he built the Taj Mahal around it. Thousands of workers took a long period of time, and that's how he built the Taj Mahal. And the story goes that in the early days, his passion for his wife was the driving force. But it wasn't long before his passion for the project became greater than his passion for his wife. He kind of forgot her. And one day, in the middle of the construction, there was all this debris lying around the site. He ordered all the workmen to clear the debris away. And in doing so, they cleared the casket away. And no one noticed for several months until he realized, oops. So what happened was the passion for the project started overcoming and becoming greater than the passion for the one for whom the project was for in the first place. And folks, that can be what happens in your faith. You can start out with this radical love for God, but then in your desire and passion for God, you can end up doing things for God. And you're doing good things. It's just you've lost the fuel in the engine. It's just the motive behind it all has changed. It's no longer that red-hot passion for God. It's now you're just doing things to be dutiful. Here's 11 ways to know you've lost your first love. First of all, You've got less desire to spend time with God in private. You know, you, you still pray and read your Bible, but it's out of a sense of duty. Okay, worship isn't spontaneous anymore. You know, you, you, you don't have this sense of gratitude towards God that you used to. You've lost sight of reality. In fact, oftentimes during worship, you're very distracted. <laughs> that girl over there, or that guy over there, or, or the, the, the food that you've got on your you know, for lunch or whatever, you're distracted. You're not, you're, not, you're not there. You're not engaged anymore like you used to. Okay, you've stopped talking about your first love. That's a sheer sign you've lost your first love. You know, see when you're first in love, 
Man, you do everyone's nuts in. You're just going, oh yeah, she should see her, she's amazing. And you're constantly talking about her or him. And you're just talking about them all the time to the point where your friends are fed up. Stop talking about it already. Come on, stop. But um, that's what people do when they're in love. And when you first got saved, you got switched on to God. You got excited about Jesus. You didn't need anyone to say, have you thought of evangelizing? You think, man, I'm going to tell everyone about God. He's great. Why would people not want to know about my lover, God's? That's how, so evangelism is just the most natural thing when you're in love, right? You're no longer talking about him anymore. Church has become a habit instead of a passion. I mean, you used to come and you used to love church because it was the house of God's. But in time, you've become critical. You stand office, you're kind of looking on and you're actually becoming critical of people and, and, uh, and you become a bit cynical, to be honest. And what has happened is this, you've taken your eyes off God and you've put your eyes on people. And that's the problem. You see, if you look at God in church, church is great. You start looking at people, oh, I'm telling you, <laughs> church no longer becomes cool, all right? Uh, because, to be, and that, that, that is exactly the same in any place, to be honest. You would get exactly the same if you went down to your bowling club or your football club. You start looking too much at people, you will be disillusioned because people will let you down. Even in church, people will let you down. If you haven't been offended at destiny, it's simply because you have not been around long enough. It will happen. Brace yourself. It's coming, okay? So get your eyes off people. Get your eyes off people. Get your eyes onto God. God won't let you down. Love people and trust God. Don't do the other way around. <laughs> love people and trust God. Just love people. And keep your eyes on God. Then church won't be a disillusionment for you anymore. Uh, you know, you, you no longer dream about his exciting purposes for your life anymore. In fact, you've become disillusioned. You're even blaming God for how things haven't worked out. You've buried your dreams. Your desires are on the shelf. But I want to tell you, God's still on track get them off the shelf, dig them up again. He hasn't gone anywhere. You see, people who lost their first love, they, they, they've, been, they've been blessed and now they've forgotten the one who blessed them in the first place. They've forgotten the blesser. You know, you've gone from rags to riches and uh, then you forget the God who did that for you. Anyone seen that before? Anyone been there before? Right? You, you go from rags to riches, you, God saves you, dusts you down, gets you back on track, blesses you, you have everything, and then you forget the God who blessed you in the first place, right? This is bittersweet, folks. Some of you are there. Some of you have been there. Many of you in this room, I know many of you in this room, that's your life. And we've seen that. And that's human. But God hasn't gone anywhere. Don't lose your first love. You've, you've become busy with the calling, but forgotten the caller. Man, this happens all the time. You get all busy with the calling and you've forgotten the one who called you in the first place. It's like, it's like in marriage, right? You, you're in love, you're in love, and because you're in love, things happen and babies come along, right? So you know, you, right, you understand the link, okay? Okay, it's a Sunday night sermon, I get it. Okay, so, uh, but stuff happens, right? So, you know, you're in love and then, and, uh, and then, uh, babies come along. And so all of a sudden you've created these projects because of love. And now what's happening is you're, all your time is consumed with these little projects, changing their nappies, wiping up their puke, you know, switching on CBBs, uh, taking them to school, helping them with their homework. Okay. All of a sudden, and here's what can happen if you're not careful. 
you can suddenly start becoming so consumed with the project you've created from love that you forget the relationship that brought the project about in the first place. You get it? And what can happen, the tragedy is that a couple can lose each other in their kids. And by the time the kids up and leave home, you think, who are you again? And you suddenly realize that you don't know each other anymore. And let me say, it's very simply advice to dads. Dads, the best thing you can do for your kids is love their mum. All right? Because the relationship that brought those kids into the world in the first place, that, that what will cause them to thrive in this world is that relationship doing well. Okay? And listen, I know this is bittersweet. Some of you, I, I'm not meaning to make this hard, because some of you that you've had broken relationships. Uh, but I'm, I, I thank God for a God who restores. And really what I'm talking about is the ultimate relationship, the relationship with God. We can lose sight of the God who called us because we get so caught up in the calling and doing activities forgetting the God who called us in the first place. You know, you love, I've I've written this wrong here, it's probably going to come up behind me wrong, but basically your love for God is replaced by a love for another. And this can happen. It's like adultery. You lose sight of the one you love and you suddenly start thinking, oh, that's better over there and the grass isn't greener on the other side, folks. But that can happen in life in relationship with God where your heart was captivated by God and then all of a sudden other things start becoming glittery and start attracting you. That world of pleasures or lust or hedonism, that world of drugs, drink and getting high and just forgetting stuff or that world of that just escape this life and get, just reinvent yourself and have a whole new life. This becomes idols in our minds or hobbies or jobs or career paths suddenly start taking the place of God. They start becoming our idols, the things we love and pursue. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God's. So we get into spiritual adultery where we lose sight of God and we start pursuing things which we think will give us joy, but you know full well they don't give you joy. But we're, just, we're always duped. We always think the grass is, isn't, is greener on the other side, but if we truly are honest, we know it's not. And yet we lie to ourselves and we end up in wrong places. And God wants us to stay alive in that first love so no other love will come near it. Are your motives changed? And what can happen is you start loving. Remember, like the church at Ephesus, love caused them to give, love called it, caused them to invest their time, love caused them just to go the extra mile. But what can happen is that love can be replaced for, for example, duty. You start doing things out of duty. Well, it's just the right thing to do. It's not love anymore. It's just duty. You're doing things out of duty. Or guilt. You know, you're, you're no longer doing things out of love. You're doing things out of guilt. You think, man, if I don't do things, then I feel guilty about not doing those good things. Or love is replaced by legalism. That It used to be you did those things because you love God, but now you, you, now you feel you have to do those things because if you didn't do those things, man, God wouldn't accept me anymore. That's such a lie. Or love is replaced for reputation. You, you did all those things initially because of love, but you became a spiritual giant. And wow, check you out. You're a spiritual giant. And now you're still doing those things, but you're doing them to maintain this persona, this, this reputation that you've developed. And it came from love in the first place, but now it's become all about your reputation. You lose love, you lose all. And you've stopped loving and started blaming God instead. You've gone through hard times, real hard times, But I need to tell you that God was not the author of those hard times. 
and you're turning away from God is not, not relevant. It's not appropriate because God wasn't the one who caused them in the first place. Run to him, not from him. Matthew twenty four twelve. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So don't allow the bad stuff to neutralize the fire in your heart. Okay, so let's go back to the verse of Jesus saying, but you have lost your first love. But now he tells us to remember and repent, do or die. (laughs) Verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. In other words, get back to that first love or else I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus is saying to this church, which starts so great, and then it's lost its track. It's it's become cold concerning God. It's no longer in love like it used to be. And Jesus is saying, you're doing so many things still very well, but you've lost that love. Here's what you need to do, church. Remember. Remember and repent. Remember means, remember what it was like. Remember that fire? Remember that passion? Remember. Okay, now repent. Repent means change your mind. Get your head sorted out again. Get back on track in your thinking. This is, it's all about Jesus. Get right back to that. Repent means change your mind and then change your behavior. Get back on track with that relationship with God. Remember and repent. You see, an aeroplane, when it takes off from it's it's off the runway from the airport, it's heading to a destination. Now, if you were to measure how much of that flight, the plane was literally pointing exactly at the destination. If you were to measure that, it would probably be only 10% of the time that the plane was literally pointing exactly at the destination. Sometimes it's a bit off this way, sometimes it's a bit off this way. Only about 10% of the time is it actually pointing at its destination. Well, then we ask, well, how on earth then does it make it? If, most, if 90% of the time it's pointing in other directions. And the answer is it makes it there because of the readjustments. The pilot is constantly tweaking the trajectory of the plane to keep it left, right, and then eventually bring it into... It's like when you're driving, you're, you're not, you don't just sit there with your hands stationary. You're constantly tweaking, constantly readjusting. And it's in the readjustments that you get to your destination. So it's not that you've done it all perfect, not that I've done it all perfect, but it's in our repentance, it's in our, uh, it's our tweaking. It's, it's, it's as we're journeying forward, we get to our destination. God hasn't quit on you. And that's why he's bringing you this letter today, because he loves you. And he's calling you back to that love you had at first. And we all need to hear this, folks. We all need to hear this. Do the deeds you did at first. Do the deeds you did at first. The solution isn't, okay, do nothing now. The solution isn't, okay, you've swung over to this extreme where you're so busy doing stuff in church and do so busy doing stuff in the name of God, but you've actually not, you've forgotten your love for God that got you there. So, so swing to the opposite extreme, go on a retreat, dump all your responsibilities, just binge on God. That's the solution. No, it's not. That's not the solution. And that's often what we do. We, our solution often is one extreme to the other. That's never the solution. God's extreme is, God, God's solution is get the balance, get right there in the middle. Swing back to a place of balance where you're still doing the stuff. It's just that you've injected in the motive again. So before you go out and do your activities, take a bit of time praying. Before you go out and, and get, get your sleeves rolled up and do that task again, take some time worshiping. 
Just allow, take some time just in the presence of God, allowing him just to fill you with that love afresh. Just before you get going again with the things that you're doing, let the love hit you afresh. And then say, God, this is all for you. The reason I do all this stuff is for you. Is it possible to be more in love the older you get? You know, I can imagine a young couple asking an old couple who are more in love, is it possible to be more in love the older you get? And they might say, yes. But they would say, but. (laughs) Yes, but it's going to take hard work. It's going to take hard work. Now, we know Christianity is free. Salvation is free. Or should I say it's not free, but it is free to you. It cost him everything. Okay, We're saved based on a price that he paid for us. We're not saved by trusting in our work for him. We're, trusting in, we're saved by trusting in his work for us. That's what makes us saved. We get it free. And you can unsave yourself because you didn't save yourself in the first place. God saved you. You can't lose through bad deeds what you didn't gain through good deeds. You're saved by his work for you. Isn't that great? He's got you stronger than you've got him. And that's good news. If your salvation was based on your faithfulness, you're scuppered. If your salvation is based on his faithfulness, which it is, by the way, you're okay. You're eternally okay. Isn't that good news? So you don't need to do another thing to, get, to earn your salvation. You know, if when you were saved, you could literally do nothing for the rest of your life and go straight to heaven. Do you know that? You could just be a slob. You get saved and then be a slob, a saved slob. They just did nothing for the rest of your life. And you would enter heaven. Not, I mean, you, you wouldn't get that in any other religion. Oh, no, you haven't done enough good stuff to get into heaven. No, no. We get saved based on what he did for us. Literally, you get saved. You could do, become a slob the rest of your days and go into heaven. But how many people know you'd have a pretty miserable life? <laughs> you wouldn't live the abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring you. Or that life to the full. So, is it possible to be more in love in the days ahead than in the days past? Yes, it's possible, but it will take some hard work. So, just as, you know, you could be married, you could be married, and you could exist in that marriage till death do you part. Just purely by being faithful, you just exist. You know, you could exist till the end. It wouldn't be a great marriage, but you'd still be married. His ring's still on the finger. You could be a slob, right? Some of you are, okay? So, you, 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 I'm talking to the guys, not the girls. I'm talking to the guys, so you, you could be a slob and just exist in that marriage till, and get, make it through to the finish line. Yay! Hey, but, but it wasn't that amazing, all right? If you want to make it amazing, you want to be more in love in the days ahead, then you've got to take some hard grafts, okay? I'm talking now about your relationship with God. You don't have to do another thing to get saved. It's, it's all there. But God's got an abundant life for you. God wants that love to get stronger. Go back and do the deeds you did at first. Not just do the same things you did at first, but do it with the same love you did it at first. Let that love, let that love cause there to be a destagnation of your life. So as you come up and play the guitar or as you serve the teas and coffees or help with the kids or go out and work with the homeless, that you're doing it because, Jesus, you've saved me, so I'm going to bless someone else. That there's a motive behind it that is a bigger motive than any other motive you've got. It's that relationship that fuels everything else in your life. 
And then Jesus ends this letter, love and live. Verse 7, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, if you know your Bible, right here, we're at the end of the Bible, we're in the book of Revelation. Here he's hearkening back to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the tree of life. There still is a tree of life. And if you remember at the very beginning of time, we lost access to the tree of life because we rejected relationship with God. Rejecting relationship with God was literally us rejecting access to the source of life himself. God is the source of life. You were created to know God. It's abnormal not to know God. You were created to know God, and when you know God, that becomes for you, and it will be so eternally, a tree of life. You know, loving God is a tree of life. Loving sin is a tree of death. Pursuing idols, that's a tree of death. You know that. You know that. Kills you on the inside. Loving God is a tree of life. Causes you to be more alive than anything else. And Jesus is saying, you love him, you have this tree of life. You're going to overcome. Get back to that first love. There is this tree of life. In 2008, there was this um, newspaper article that really got me. It really impacted me. And I was, when I was thinking about this message today, I remembered this article. And it was in the Telegraph newspaper, and it was in January 2008. And the title of the article said, Mother Makes Ultimate Sacrifice for New Baby. It's a story of a lady called Lorraine Allard, who was 33 years old, and she was diagnosed with incurable disease uh, when she was four months pregnant with her son. And she was offered treatment, but she she was told that she had the treatment, it would likely kill the child. So they suggested having an abortion and pursuing a course of treatment to save her own life. But she didn't. She refused the treatment And in doing so, she saved her son's life. Her son Liam was born 15 weeks premature, but survived. And in doing so, she sentenced herself to death. She told her husband, if I'm going to die, my baby's going to live. Liam was born and Lorraine got to spend two months with him before she died. Her husband, Martin, said this about his wife. She was a fantastic person, the best wife the best mum in the world. She put little Liam's life before her own. Amazing, isn't it? But that whole emotion, that whole sentiment, folks, you can apply that exact same sentiment to God. You know, God says, you've lost your first love. But you need to understand, I think as far as God's concerned, you're his first love. That, that, That passion, that relational passion is the same relational passion that God has in his heart for you. God died for you. God, paid, God prioritized you even over himself. That's mind-blowing. That would be mind-blowing enough if it's a human being. But considering this is the creator, the creator of the universe, God, Jesus Christ, became a man, came into this world. He died on the cross, sacrificing himself, paying the price for your sin, dying so you wouldn't need to die, Taking hell so you could have heaven. Taking your sins so you could become righteous. Dying your death so you could have eternal life. Jesus did that for you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. You're his first love. 
And he's not, and he, he said, you've left your first love, but you need to understand, he's never going to leave his first love. He will never walk out in you. Others may have. He will not walk out in you. He will not abandon you. He will go nowhere. He is faithful and eternally good. He loves you and he prioritized you even above himself on that cross 2,000 years ago. Thank God for his resurrection. He's alive now and he's moving among us. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Father, thank you so much for this amazing love. Thank you so much for this amazing sacrifice. God, thank you so much that you came. You paid the price because we are your first love. And today we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you for rescuing us. Thank you, God. You've been so good to us. You've been so faithful to us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lord, today I pray that we will come back to that first love in Jesus' name. Okay, just church in God's presence just now. Take a moment to make your own response to God. God is walking among us. He's written a letter to you today. It is totally for you, this letter. It's literally tailor-made for you today. This is his letter to you. And today he's calling you back to this first love. So each one of you in God's presence, take a moment to make your own response to him. If you've wandered, today he's calling you back. He's not challenging you because he hates you. He's challenging you because he loves you. He's throwing this out there. He's throwing down the gauntlet saying, come on, come back. He's not going anywhere. Allow his love to impact your heart today and come back to him. So give him thanks. Get back to that pure motive you had in the early days. Flip out of doing things out of duty and start living afresh that passion that makes you do things out of love. Let him fill your heart afresh with that mighty Holy Spirit. Just pray your own prayers to God. Just come back to him. He's worth everything. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you've never really committed yourself to God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. I want to have a real relationship with God, who, the God who made me. You know, this is not about actually becoming a member of this church. You'd be welcome to be a member here. I'm talking about something more important than that. I'm talking about relationship with God. If you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. And you're here and you're saying, Peter, I, I believe that Jesus died for me on that cross. I believe he rose again. I want God in my life. Then just pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath. One line at a time. Say, dear Lord God. 
Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for paying the ultimate price for me. Thank you for dying and rising again for me. God, you know me. I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Today I'm asking you for forgiveness. I'm asking for a new start on the inside. Have my life. Jesus, I choose to follow you now. Be Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, and that was the decision you just made, and, that's, and you're just saying, God, I want, I want you in my life. If that's the prayer you just prayed, I would like to pray for you, just wherever you are in this auditorium or in the cafe. If you prayed that prayer, could you just indicate to me you did that? Because I want to pray for you. Indicate to me you did that by simply raising your hands. Go for it. Thank you. Anyone else? This is a decision you made. Say, I'm God's today. I want God in my life. Before I pray, is there anyone else who made that decision? Thank you. That's brilliant. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Is there anyone else? God, these three people today have just prayed. Each one of them has a different life, but each one of them today has made a choice to follow Jesus. And God, you've made a choice about them. You chose to die for them. And you love them. And right now, thank you, you've heard their prayer. And thank you, God, you forgive them. You restore them. And I thank you that they are your children in Jesus' name. So right now, God, let them know a filling with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with your love and power and help them now to live strongly, live free into the future that you've got for them. In Jesus' name, thank you for hearing their prayer and accepting them today. In Jesus' name, amen.